0: Here's your host, Carissa Sims.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sonia Waston. Sonia is a suicide survivor with over 30 years of lived experience with mental health challenges. She is one of today's most insightful and inspirational speakers on mental health. Her award-winning and best-selling book, An Impossible Life, which details her struggles with mental illness, was featured on CBS this morning. And Dr. Tara Narola, the correspondent, said that Sonia's story was the most sacred and special she's ever done. So she, Sonia is a Devoted mental health advocate. Her health advocacy work includes drug addiction, recovery programs, homeless shelters, firefighters, police officers, veterans, women's prisons, and others. Oprah Winfrey graciously participated virtually in one of Sonia's mental health book clubs. That's incredible. Sonia has traveled the country speaking with fortune 500 companies, non-for-profit organization, government officials, and has written many publications on mental health. And she is a member of the newsweek expert forum. Welcome Sonia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. It's great to have you here. So what does it mean to be a suicide survivor? It means that
2: i 've attempted suicide, and mm-hmm. obviously I did not die mm. and so yes i 'm a suicide survivor
1: that's that 's amazing. So tell me about the time that your husband and father admitted you to the psychiatric hospital. What was that like for you? Do you have a memory of that?
2: Yeah, um, so I had been um, hiding my mental health challenges for over twenty years because of the stigmas. I thought I was weak. There was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And how,
1: have, how did you hide that? How, how could you hide that? I mean, that, well, you know,
2: I, amazing I mean, you say you're hiding it, but yet there's signs, right? Yeah. There's things that so, slip out and you
1: don't realize. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's, you know, hiding it in the, I didn't openly talk about it. In that, um, I was kind of in denial, didn't want to have a mental health challenges, didn't want to have mental illness because it meant that I would have it for the rest of my life because it's bio for me, it's biological. There's environmental mental health challenges and biological mental health challenges, environmental, you know, it's situational and people can get through those and then maybe not have a lot for a period of time where mine's biological. It's a battle every day for the rest of my life. And, um, but I hid it in not talking about it openly. People asked, oh, I'm doing wonderful. But yet I hadn't showered for weeks. I was wearing dirt with the same clothes. So, I mean, I, you know, people could see, okay, you know, there's something going on there. I just think a lot of people didn't know exactly what.
1: Yeah. They couldn't pinpoint it. Mm-mm. And was it, was it your husband or was it your kids? Were your kids say anything? Like how old were your kids at the time?
2: Um, they were, I think my daughter was like 16, my son, 14, my other son, I think nine around Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. It was in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and father involuntarily committed
1: me. and, And, and they might have been aware of your challenges. I mean, because they're older.
2: Oh, my children definitely knew. I mean, within the home, right? Mm -hmm. Like behind closed doors, a Mm -hmm. lot of people don't see a lot of things. I mean, I appeared or thought I appeared to be living the ideal life, married to the hospital CEO. I attended charity events, you know, but I had a beautiful home, three good kids, but behind closed doors, like I said, right. My life held darker storylines and clearly, you know, that I was not hiding that from my children. My marriage was hanging on by a thread. Um, I was tipping the scales at 250 pounds from emotional eating. I
1: had spent, <gasps> Oh my 100- God, you? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: look at, look at her now. I mean, you are stunning. Yeah. That is amazing Yeah, come from that. I mean, I'm not only talking about the mental health. I mean, because you're, you're glowing from the inside out. It's, it's not just that, oh yeah, you lost the weight. You look amazing, but, but I can tell that you are grounded. You are in your truth and standing in your power. And it's just so amazing to see that. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Yeah. I loved what you said by looking at me because in my book on the cover is an actual photo of me in a manic, um, depressive episode. And I didn't know my daughter was taking it. I would lay in bed days and days and days and just stare out the window. And she snapped a picture of me when um, she was 16 and she captured my eyes and you can see the pain in there. So I do think you know, the window to our souls is our eyes. And if people really look at each other, I think we can
1: often see a lot more that that's there. Right. Mm, That's so true. And I was just thinking about this because I I know I have a friend who is going through a little bit of depression. I don't think she's suicidal yet, but who knows she could be hiding it. But I notice that she won't look me in the eye. It's very interesting because, because I think of what you're saying, like that, I would truly see her and all of who she was. If I looked into her eyes, you know what I mean?
2: And, you know, I would challenge you or anyone, one mm-hmm. thing that I have learned through therapy and my kids and my husband, we do this for each other. We do take the time to like look at each and each other's in the eyes and just say the words, I see you. And I can guarantee when I've done that to close friends who are struggling, I look them, I stop them. I say, wait. And I take them by the shoulders and I look them in the eyes. And I said, I see you. I see you. Yes. And they just break down crying. And I think we all want to be seen, even if we're hiding, mm-hmm. we want to be seen and heard and understood yeah. And um yeah, I think we sometimes get very busy or people are hiding the mm-hmm. chaos in the world that we yeah. don't take that
1: moment to really look each other in the eyes and say I see you. It's really true because we think, oh, we don't want to bother someone. We don't want to go deep into their life and, and really connect with them that deeply. But I want to go back to what you said about being seen, heard, and understood because it's so interesting. My friend um, wrote this book called the art of alignment, and she has this acronym called Shuva that I think you would love (laughs) seen, heard, understood. And, um, I forget the rest of this moment. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) That's so funny. But anyway, I just, I really resonate with what you're, what Mm -hmm. you're saying. So, um, I mean, and I just want to go back to that time that your husband and father admitted you, because that takes an incredible amount of bravery. I feel like on your husband's part to, to see that you were really inside there and that you just needed a little bit of help. Yeah. You know, it's funny. A lot of people
2: say to me, well, how do I help people? And this is the thing you got to understand. We're all on our own personal journey. And so someone might be, you know, we have to respect each other. I always say, don't try to be each other's therapist, but you can see, like we said, look in each other's eyes and see their pain and say, I see you and love and care, And sometimes people are not willing to get help and they're not at that point where they're ready. But if somebody gets in crisis, then that's the point you've got to step in. Okay. And yes, you know, there is some area when people are struggling that you still have to show some respect and it's a little nuanced, you know, you want to let them know I'm here for you. You know, if you are struggling so much that you can't get help yourself, I'll do research. I'll drive you to the doctors. Because a lot of times people also say, get help. You need help. Maybe they're so down and out. They don't even have the energy to make that phone call to drive themselves to the doctor. Mm -hmm. So I always encourage people to say, Hey, I see you're struggling. If you need me to make a phone call or drive you to the doctors or help you in any way, I'm here. And so I think that's number step one, number Mm. step two. If you see someone in crisis that you have to kind of do what my husband and father did. I was suicidal. And I thought I had disillusioned myself where I thought everybody was suicidal. Everybody wanted to die. Life was hell. And so when I went to the ER and the crisis worker interviewed me, she says, well, how often do you think about taking your life? And I was like, Oh, just as often as you, you know, just off as the average person. Mm. I had just gotten to that point where I just thought it's normal. Everybody wants to do it. But I did not want help. I did not want to admit I had a mental health challenge because I felt like that would be stilling my hope that if I had mental illness, that there was no hope for me to have a life worth living. So by admitting that I thought they'd be taking my hope, they would be taking my chance at having a life. And so I fought it. And yes, two security guards escorted me out and I got in back of a van with bars and they put me behind out of,
1: out of no, your home, out
2: of the ER, I was in the ER. The oh. guy came back with two security guards and okay. said, so I said, I won't go to the psych ward. I refuse, but oh. they had PEC'd me. A doctor had PEC'd me. So I had to go. What does that mean? It's a, v- a physician evaluation certificate. Okay. So they have the power now to hospitalize you against your will. And cause I was a danger to myself. And so the two security guards came he says, you can go out of here peacefully or they're going to carry you out. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go out with my dignity. And I went down that ER hallway with two security
1: guards on either side of me into the psych ward. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's so amazing. So what was the process? Did they diagnose you at that time? And, um, what kind of therapy and medication helped you? So, you know, like I said, we're
2: all on our own personal journey. I wish I could say that I would have been more a compliant, accepting (laughs) person, but I was not. I was a fighter. And um, you know, they diagnosed me as bipolar, obsessive, compulsive, and anxiety disorder. Oh and I I fought that diagnosis, but I did three separate diagnoses. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have severe mental health challenges. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um So I fought it, but they put me on medicine there, um, antipsychotics, and they did start to kick in and help. And I did, after I was released, I entered, um, an outpatient program. So, um, I did that and I was, you know, I was doing better, but still fighting it and not probably accepting the help. Like I needed to. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then what was happening? Did you ask your husband later what happened at home? Was your daughter, were your kids kind of like kicking into high gear and taking care of themselves? Was there a, a nanny or did your husband step in? All of it. Okay. Of it. Yeah, you mentioned it's all of it. And um,
2: you know, I um yeah, it was all of it. And in my book An Impossible Life I shared the unvarnished truth of that journey. You get to get in a car with me. It's like it's like you get in a car with me and you get to see what it's like how a person who has a mental illness thinks and sees the world and how that process went from me being here to getting to the other side of hope. But yeah, I would be in a manic episode and I spent like one time over $150,000 on credit cards in three months on worthless items. I wish I could tell you I bought a car or a washer and dryer. I did not, but yeah, so it's, you know, very episodic and, um, mental illness is real. It's, it's a real illness
1: Mm. that, yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes with, um, the manic, it can be, um, how do I say it? Not necessarily socially acceptable, but sometimes people who are not to generalize, but are manic might be more productive or they might oh, be yeah. super creative oh, or yeah, lady. Yeah. Yeah. Cleaning the house or. Oh, yeah.
2: Or no, that's, yeah, that's part of it. And one thing that you pointed out that I like people with mental illness do have, there is some positive traits yeah. to that. I'm extremely creative even now, even though my mental illness hasn't changed from 30 years ago to today. All that's managed is my capacity to handle it, my skill set through therapy, the medication my support team, my medical team. I always tell people they need medicine. They need therapy. They need a support team. They need to get skills and they can have a life worth living. And then there is, even though it's super difficult still, I'm not going to lie to you and say, Oh, it's all magically. Yes. No, it's it's difficult, but there are some pluses. I am very creative. I am very driven. I am very um, lots of energy, but just don't want to go into the manic where I start. If somebody, you know, where I think I'm going to win the lottery, like, you know, stuff
1: like that. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I also read a, another book called an unquiet mind. Yeah. Did you read that one? Uh-huh, yeah. I, did. I, th- I thought that was interesting talking about some of the positive sides and yeah. that like a lot of people in that are psychologists also have mental illness.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, there's so many people that have mental illness, not just psychologists. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. across, it's like one in four will experience oh, uh, wow. mental illness at some point in their life. And especially now, since, since after COVID, the economy, um, just the environment that we're dealing with right now, mm-hmm. mental health struggles and challenges are just on the rise. And even though it might be environmental and not like a biological illness, their symptoms are just the same. A lot of them, the same as mine. I can talk to people who have mental health challenges. That's maybe not a biological one, but environmental situational, and we can understand each other. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of people going through a lot of mental
1: health um, struggles right now. Mm, yeah, so so going back to your therapy because you said you were resistant to medication mm. and therapy at first. How long did it take you to acquiesce and realize that this might be beneficial for you? Well,
2: after my suicide attempt, that was only six years ago. I want to point out in 2015, um, I've done a whole turnaround. Um, my husband was like, I can't do this anymore. We're going to separate, possibly get a divorce. My son was 16 at the time. My two older kids were in college and the doctors just said, you're in no shape to raise a child right now. So my son went to Utah. I was in Columbia, Missouri at the time and finished high school, um, living with my son's brother and then his grandparents, and. You know, I was a mother. I wasn't working at the time. It was my whole identity, and I just felt like everything. You know, I almost died. I was in the ICU because I had swallowed over two hundred antipsychotic, over a hundred around there, hundred, hundred fifty. Oh my god! Antipsychotic pills, and they.
1: I can't believe you survived that. Well, they pumped. Yes,
2: yes. They. My husband found me in time. They. Pumped my stomach, charcoal. They filled my body full of IV to try to flush it for my kidneys. I mean, when I woke up in the IC, they had to incubate me, or is it incubate? What is that called? Where they put Intubate, some yeah. intubates. Something else was breathing for me, and they filled me, just flushed me with IV fluid. When I woke up, I was so swollen, my hands, everything. I was just like, oh my gosh. But they said they, you know, were trying to protect my organs. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a miracle. It, you know, it's um, it's a miracle. But um, anyway, I was losing everything I had, and I went into an outpatient program, um, and then started a dialectical behavior therapy program. And it, you know, I I dug in deep. I fought for my family. I fought for my marriage. I'm happily married thirty years. I saved. Oh my it. god! Yeah, yeah. So there's Take hope by your side. Hope. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, there's that, hope. That- so I dug in deep and I accepted this and I thought, "Okay, I'm going to have a life worth living. I'm I'm done." I you know, after 20 what, 4 years or something. Mm. I was like, "I'm done. I'm going to do something good with this." Oh, my father died from suicide and um I just was like, "I'm going to do something good with this. I'm going to turn this ship around." And it was hard work, but I did it.
1: Mm -hmm. that's amazing and you know the unfortunate thing is when a family member that's close to you commits suicide so I do healing work and I sense spirits So so a lot of times the frequency of that suicide will stay with you yeah. And so sometimes it's not the person's fault. It's just that frequency of what happened to your father is like within you. And it's so hard, like it's a million times harder for someone with a family member who has committed suicide to like not do it, I would say, in my opinion. So it's like to overcome that is just truly remarkable. I mean, that's amazing. So what was the therapy that you said worked for you yeah. I never... Dialectical behavior therapy. Yeah, what it's is kind that? of a
2: sister. Marsha Linha developed. I don't know how old she is now, maybe 80. I got to write her a letter still. I've been meaning to contact oh. her. Thank you for changing my life.
1: Yeah. Um, it was I've never heard of that. That's yeah. So it funny.
2: was therapy originally done for borderline personality disorders, but it's come to work for people with anxiety, bipolar. I mean, all these are labels anyway. So really it's like, you know, when you're struggling, um, how do you get a skill set to manage mental health challenges, relationship challenges, anger, addiction, you know, these things? And she really developed a beautiful scientifically based therapy. Wow. And those skills, I wouldn't have the life I have today without skills, but medicine is key, you yeah. know, even with the side effects. Um, medicine, the skills, the therapy. I'm still in therapy. Um, you know, my doctors, I'm so grateful to them. Um, I'm grateful to drug companies who continue to research and provide antipsychotics for people like me to try Mm -hmm. to improve my life. Um, So yeah, it's, it's a it's a it, it's a team effort. Yeah, it's but, a combination. I yeah, but it's I, not, I, highly because I recommend.
1: am implying that it was about the therapy. Oh, it's yeah. just this one therapy. But I had, had never heard of that therapy, yeah. so I was just curious of what it entails.
2: So, um, I did a year long program, mm-hmm. um, and. There's a waiting list to get in. I will say oh, that. Yeah. Wow. They're very hard to get into. Okay. So, um, because it's not
1: that many practitioners, is that why? Um, they
2: have programs And I think, almost every state. It's just, it's very effective. It's oh, popular. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it's a year long program. You go to classes. You have a therapist that you can call 24/7. They'll call you wow. back within five minutes. Because when you're in the crisis is when they help you use the skills. So you have the crisis and you meet with a the therapist a week later, the crisis is past. You need to learn in that crisis how to use skills. So they help you use skills. Then you do have a therapy appointment once a week um, with them as well. And you do homework, they have modules, there's emotion regulation, interpersonal, um, relationship skills, distress tolerance skills, Mm. and you do these modules and you do them not just once, but you repeat them to really help you dig in deep. But you know, you have a workbook, you have homework, you have classes. Mm. Um, I actually did the program for three times for three years. Mm. So most people do it once and they do it Mm -hmm. for a year. And then if they, like, I had some people in the program with me that had done it five years ago and they were coming back because they needed to refresh. But, um, it's an amazing program and I'm not in it anymore, but I still see a dialectical behavior therapist, um, who's trained. So I continue to see people, um, my therapists that have DBT training so I can always stay up on that mindset, those (laughs) skills, um, -hmm. that can help me, you know, use DBT language to Mm -hmm. help me. Um, when I run into a little bit of a, you know, glitch. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's amazing because I feel like that therapy is really empowering you to live your best life. I mean, it's giving you the tools, like you said, the skills. So, so that's great. Can you provide, um, help and hope for others that might be struggling with mental illness? Yes. So what I would say is a
2: lot of time, mental health challenges, you feel hopeless. The people who are supporting you, if you are out there supporting someone, you feel helpless. And what I want to let you know is don't give up on them for those supporting them. Do not give up on them. I mean, what if my family doctors would have given up on me? It took me 20 years. Wow. And look at where I'm at now. It's a, you know, my family are just like, wow. So what I want to say is don't give up on them. They're on their personal journey. You know, look at me, you know, 20 years. Um, and what I would say for those struggling, you don't need to take 20 years. Don't fight it. Go get the help you know, radically acceptance, radically accept what is.
1: Yeah. And
2: go get yourself the help. Even if that means calling a friend mm-hmm. and saying, can you help me get an appointment with a doctor? Yeah. Even if that means calling a family member and saying, I'm not doing okay. Can I talk with you? Um, if that means go to the ER, <laughs> go to urgent care, go make a doctor's appointment. Yeah. Um, Hey, be open to taking medicine and it's, it's not a clear shot. You might have to try several medicines. You might have to have side effects. Um, there are millions of people with illnesses out there that are taking medicines with side effects. If you have mental health challenges and need medicine, you're not alone. You're not the only one. There's many people with many different types of illnesses that are doing medication
1: also. So there's hope if I can do it, anyone can do it. Yay. That's, that's amazing. Um, so what about loving yourself? Did you go through a process of, um, or did they teach you the skills to do that again? Because I mean, part of it might have been that feeling of, of not loving yourself enough to live.
2: Yeah. You know, I think, even now, if I'm honest, I will have moments of struggling of, um, loving myself. I think it's always a work in progress. I don't think it's like one day I love myself and now I love myself forever. (laughs) I think that it's something that we have to daily show ourselves grace. So for example, in dialectical behavior therapy, they have a saying and it's when you know better, you do better. So what you have to understand is you're doing the best, you know, how, so I look at that girl 10 years ago and I go back to that girl and I give her a hug
0: and Mm -hmm. I say, you were
2: doing the best you knew how, so they have found scientifically 90% or something of people are doing the best they know how, but it doesn't mean we can't grow. It doesn't mean we can't improve. So when you know better, you do better. But that's a process as you're going through your journey. And so I think self-love is also forgiving yourself, showing yourself grace, showing yourself that this is a journey, a journey of growing. And that you can say, uh, when you go to bed at night, I did the best I knew how, but I learned a few things today. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow when I know better, I can do better. And if you know better and try and still fell they always say in DBT, it's not a straight line. It's you take two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back, Mm. but your trajectory is going up. So also show yourself some patience. And, um, you know, we live mostly
1: in our head, make it a beautiful place to live. No, that's wonderful. You're so positive. It's, it's amazing. Um, So I know you do a lot of work with corporations, Mm -hmm. fortune 500 companies. What is one of the talks? I know you have something on unleashing your full potential. What do you mean by that? And how is that connected by, uh, to mental health?
2: Well, it's kind of like your physical health is your physical health and your mental health are equally important. And so what I say is you can't reach your full potential if you're not taking care of your mental health. And that's just that makes sense. It's just is if you don't take care, and I always say, when you start having mental health challenges, they're little alarm bells, right? Mm -hmm. Your mental health challenges can be some of the most impactful experiences of your life. So, for example, you know, when you start having mental health challenges, those little alarm bells, maybe that's a call to action to get out of an unhealthy relationship. To maybe you're a workaholic and you need to practice more self care. Maybe mm-hmm. you need to make a job change. Maybe you need to learn how to have mental health, wellness habits that as you are doing your job, you're safeguarding your mental health. So you can stay mentally healthy. And when you stay mentally healthy, you're more productive. You're more resilient. Uh, you're yeah. more creative. That's
1: your full potential. Yeah, yeah.
2: Your full potential is when you, ha- when your mental health is going well, you're more productive. You're more creative. You're more innovative. You're more um, resilient. You're more able to pick yourself up when you fall down. Cause everyone, I mean, the way to success is failure. But when you're really struggling with your mental health and you fall down, it's kind of like you got a backpack, of weight on you. It's harder to get up mm. where when you're mentally healthy and you your backpack, I always say your backpack isn't as full. It's easier to pop back up. So yeah, to unleash your full potential, you definitely have to have mental health, good mental health and mental wellness practices in your
1: life. Mm. And what's a day in the life of your life like? How do you manage your mental health or your well-being now?
2: You know, it's a lot of things. They, you know, uh, people say, "Oh, they're simple," and sometimes they think, <laughs> "Oh, they're too simple for me to even do." For uh, example, no, really. For example, a lot of people say, "So, your physical health and mental health is tied, right?" So I just want to mention something about your physical health. So many people say, okay, I'm going to set the school. I'm going to become physically, you know, really fit. I'm going to get so fit. And then I'm going to be mentally healthy and it's going to improve my mental health. I always say, just open your door and go for a walk, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need to go become buff or run a marathon. Those are great things. And if you have those goals and want to do it, great, do it. But you don't need to run a marathon to improve your mental health. Go out in nature, go on a hike. Mm -hmm. step out your front door, go on a walk. If you want to improve your mental health, do two minutes of meditation. Mm. And when I say meditation, it doesn't have to be meditation of, Oh, I have my eyes closed. I have to quiet my mind. Sometimes maybe for me, because I have mental illness, my mind is always racing. I put in some beautiful music and close my eyes and I take some deep breaths. For me, that helps center me. So my mm-hmm. meditation might look different from your meditation. And sometimes yeah. we think, oh, this meditation has to look a certain way. That's There's right. There's many ways to meditate. And so I'm always saying, find things that work for you yeah. or as simple as I wake up every morning and I play the song, don't stop believing. And I dance in my kitchen. Yeah. I even tell corporations, in your office, stop what you're doing, sudden alarm, put on music and just start dancing. It, you know, it really does get happy endorphins going. Mm -hmm. So there's simple things that you can do to, um, improve your mental health. If you're in work, don't take email 24 seven, don't be answering your email 24 seven. Don't be checking your phone 24 (laughs) seven. You got to stop the clock, you know. You've got to rejuvenate, and so yeah, there's that can be really
1: char. That can be really challenging for people. Yeah, Yeah, it's addicting.
2: Yeah, so you know, there's many things, but those are some of
1: the things that I do. Oh, I love that. And you know, I have heard that before about the connection between just uh, going outside, walking, and mental health. That if if people would just walk for like 30 minutes out in in nature that a lot of the mental health issues, I mean, I don't mean to simplify it like and make it seem like it's so easy to get rid of it, but there's something incredibly healing about just being outside in the sun, in nature, breathing fresh air, that something, there is a shift that can happen in your body. Okay. What you just said is
2: absolute truth. And I love that you said that nature is healing and what, and you know, I even tell people, even if you don't have 30 minutes, walk down your street. If you're working at home now with a new work environment, step outside, even if it's winter. Go yeah. step yeah. outside and take in that breath. There was a rainstorm recently. And, you know, back then, people would just be in the rainstorm intense and, and watch that rain. And I said to my husband, let's go sit on our front porch and watch the rain. Yeah. And we just watched the wind and the rain come against the <laughs> cement and the street I and our plants. It. And yes, some of the rain was hitting us. But I think sometimes we protect ourselves from nature when really we're a part of nature. Ah. And I think we need to get out into nature and you are so right. Nature is very mentally healthy for us and it's very healing. I -hmm. love to go up to trees and I just touch them and I close
1: my eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And you know, they might have a message for you too. Yeah. Start tuning in. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. There you go. Start tuning in. They usually, they're very, trees have very simple messages that are like very clear and positive. Like, you're amazing. You're brilliant. It's so interesting um, because you look at a tree and they're just so magnificent. It's like a miracle in nature. And then they will reflect that energy back to you. So it's really interesting.
2: Yes, yes. There Uh, is energy in nature that definitely fills our soul. There's a connection.
1: Tell me about your book. Now we're just getting to your book, An Impossible Life. Yeah. Why did you come up with that title? Because I felt like I was living an impossible life.
2: It just felt impossible. And there's many people out there that just feel like life's impossible that I can't do this. And I want them to know that my life felt impossible and I want them to watch my impossible journey become possible. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people feel that way and the book is a series. So it's an impossible life showing my journey with my mental health challenges. And then my second book is an impossible wife, Right, my marriage. Did you? See, is I, that
1: released?
2: Yeah, yes, it's released. It's where my husband talks about being married to someone with mental health challenges. Then wow. the third book coming out is an impossible childhood, about um, my daughter being raised by a bipolar mother. And then the last book is a possible life, and they get to read about how and what I have been doing and how I live with a mental health challenge and be successful.
1: Oh my God! Okay, are all of those available for to? Purchase? Okay,
2: so um, the first two, an impossible life, an impossible wife, are available. An okay. impossible childhood gets released in twenty twenty three, and oh, then, very yeah, soon. yeah, and then a pot and a possible life will be out in twenty twenty four.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. So, everybody, you're going to have to buy her book, An Impossible Life, and each of the books in the series. And I know you have a co author. So, Mm -hmm. who is she, and how did you meet her? She's my daughter. (laughs)
2: Oh, <laughs> my daughter is not a beautiful writer. In fact, an impossible, um, life is the Eric Hoffer grand prize winner of 2022. <gasps> yeah. My daughter's writing is gorgeous. <clears throat> and the process was so healing for our relationship, but she's a gorgeous writer, just gorgeous. It's an easy read. It's a quick read, but it's very, um, a lot of people have written that it's a page turner. It's, I mean, the way she wrote it, it's just boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, i we've had so many positive emails, a psychi- a psychiatric nurse wrote us and said, I'll never look at my patients the same way. <gasps> a family member said, I understand my sister so much better now who has mental health struggles. Yeah. A person with mental health struggles said, I just handed my family this book and said, this is how I feel. Um, a person who doesn't really understand mental health challenges or knows a lot of people emailed us and said, I now understand mental health, people struggling with mental health so much greater. Another person said, I read it and I feel heard. I don't feel so alone and, you know, just there's hope. And so that's why we did it. And I like to tell people if they do purchase my book to write a message of hope in there and then give it to someone that, you know, that it could help and then tell them, write a message of hope in it and pass it around. This isn't about selling books. This is about helping people. And so I always love to say, write a message of hope, give it to someone, tell them, write a message of hope, pass it on, write a message of hope. I want all those pages filled around our writing with messages of hope and
1: just keep passing it along. Wow. That's incredible. And have you had a lot of success with the book? I know you've been interviewed by CBS this morning and also Oprah went to your book club meeting. That's so exciting. Like how, how did all this success happen for you? Slowly through Mm -hmm. lots
2: of hard work. Yes, slowly and lots of hard work. So I am a, you know, not only do I get paid to speak, but I do, I'm a dedicated mental health advocate because this Mm -hmm. is very personal to me. I'm Mm -hmm. a suicide survivor. I lost my dad to suicide. I have a mental illness. So I do a lot of advocacy work. And one of them is I go to women's prisons and I hold mental health book clubs and I speak to them and we talk and we have conversations I invited Miss Oprah Winfrey to come to one of mine, and she attended virtually.
1: Oh and my God, that's yeah, so exciting! And so
2: she, um, it, it was. She graciously stayed two hours instead of one. She talked to the women. She provided healing words of healing. Her wisdom is tremendous. Um, she's so she's just, spiritual.
1: She's, she, you, she's amazing.
2: You know, I really want to say this. She really gave, I mean, look at what she's accomplished in her life. Yeah. She didn't have a press release about this. She just gave up her time freely and she really did it. Not for me. She did it for the women inmates. Oh yeah. For these women prison. And, you know, I have to really say she is authentically a really good person and who was doing this to serve and not to get something out of it. And I was highly impressed by that. She, her intentions was purely for those women inmates and um, her team, professional, kind, really about trying to contribute to society and do something good. And I just, I, I, I just can't even tell you in that room, there was just a presence, a presence of just goodness. And these women their lives were impacted, and so you know, I say, Oh, Miss Winfrey attended one of my mental health book clubs, but really she was there for the women, she was yeah. there to serve society, and so this isn't about me, this isn't about my, you know, I mean, it's about the work I do, she was helping my work, but um, it really was about the women inmates. So, yes, I, I like to say, Oh, look, you know, Miss Winfrey came and helped my advocacy work. As a point to people of saying, Hey, I was in bed for years doing nothing with my life. And then I started giving back. And obviously, Miss Winfrey thought what I was doing was of something of worth that she too wanted to give. And so I don't say that as, Oh, look, this famous person came, but just saying, Every person has something to contribute. And maybe even Miss Winfrey will come and participate and give back to society with you. So I try to say that as a point of there's hope. You have purpose, you have something to give, and not so much of oh wow, Miss Oprah Winfrey did something with me, you know, because she did it um to serve
1: society. Yeah, yeah, I know you're you say it so nice and you're humble about it. it um, and and you're not the first person to say that about her. An, yeah. Another person has a partnership with her that I interviewed on my show. And the same thing, like she remembered his dog after years and was asking all these questions about his family. And he was just like uh, really impressed by her and, and who she is. So yeah,
2: she she is who she says she is. I will say that. And I have met some people who
1: aren't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. And so
2: it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see. But I can honestly yeah. say, um, she's a very humble person for what she's accomplished and what she's done good for society. Mm -hmm. And even the success of her business and herself, she is an authentically, um, humble, good person. And, um, that's probably what I was most, um, like really hit me it it really hit me. I don't know what I was expecting. You know, you don't know what you're expecting when you see somebody who's accomplished so much, Right. but she, she really, um, was able to relate to those women inmates. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, she really connected with them and, and they felt seen and heard by her. So yeah, she's got a lot of love to give. Mm
1: -hmm. And it would be interesting to follow up with these women to see if, Uh, how she impacted and how you impacted their lives. I mean, did you go in person to meet with these women in the prison? Oh yeah. I did 28 book
2: clubs with them. I had seen them 28 times. Oh, we're, we still email, we email each other and Uh um, I had them write her a thank you letter. And they also wrote me a thank you letter. I didn't ask them to, but they did write how I impacted their lives. And I put together a Shutterfly book for Miss Oprah Winfrey. So I have photos of the event and then I have all their letters in there. And I have um, some of the women's stories that they shared with her about their lives. It turned out to be a beautiful book. I gave it to her and um, one of her colleagues that is a vice president of her company who made this event happen. And so I gave one to her and then to Miss Winfrey and then my daughter and I obviously have one for us
1: Mm -hmm. Mm. to remember
2: the event. It, It turned out a beautiful book.
1: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And how do you, how do you get into somebody like that? Do you know somebody that knows Oprah or you just wrote a general letter and her assistant read it?
2: Oh gosh, we could have a whole conversation. On that. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is what I'm going to say. It's very difficult to yes. um, get in contact with um, her people. Someone, yeah, um, someone like you her. have to have a lot of tenacity, but you have to also be professional. And I, I've learned a lot. Like when I started with my book and even getting on CBS this morning, I just mm-hmm. thought, Oh, I'll send them a book and they'll have me on, you know, or, Oh, my, you know, my message is so important. It's a little more complicated than that. So, yeah. um, you have to be a persistent.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, but awesome. not
2: just, yeah, not just persistent. You've got to, you've got to really have something unique to say Mm -hmm. you have to, um, I mean, everybody has a story. Everybody is important. Everybody's voice is important. Right. And I don't think national news or even miss Winfrey is saying, Oh, if I don't come to your event, it's not important. Um, many things and many people, you know, are important. It's just, a lot of it's timing, a lot of it's luck, a lot of it is you've got to be professional and um authentic yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, you know, maybe a little bit of the universe or God or yeah. purpose. But I, I do want to let people know the best way you can contribute is within your own circle with mental yeah, health. Yes. People always say, how can I be a mental health advocate? you know what? Open up about your own mental health challenges. Talk to your coworkers, Mm. talk to your family, talk to your friends. If you want to make the most impact, do it within your family's friends and in your work. And then it just multiplies, right? Mm -hmm. If we all do that, it multiplies, but yes, it's okay to go for, you know, other things too. Obviously I have, but I don't think, that is the end goal. The most important goals that I'm accomplishing is within my family, within Mm. my, my, um, church, my Mm -hmm. work, my friends opening up. I have so many conversations, so many friends that I help, And I sometimes think maybe those are the most important.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love how you turn that around there. And And with COVID-19, I know there was an increase in the number of suicides. And I saw that you wrote an article on preventing suicide in the time of COVID-19. How was that received? How was that article received?
2: Oh, it was received very well. That was during COVID, but actually research shows that suicides went down during COVID.
1: So I oh, wrote, yes, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, I heard that. Yeah, kids, so that um, was that article suicides went up. I, uh, that's a um, the reason. D-
2: yeah. So, well, okay. actually it's a little more complicated than that. It's
1: more complicated. So, okay. so the
2: teens, teens yeah. have had more mental health and uh, more emergency visits, which they don't know are those Suicidal emergency visits, panic mm-hmm. attacks. I mean, it's not, you know, how do we categorize these? But the teens' mental health is at a crisis. COVID definitely made that worse. People's mental health challenges, absolutely worse. You know, the crisis lines were just inundated with calls. So, yes, mental health, anxiety, depression, all of that for everybody. Teenagers, middle aged, old mm-hmm. people, you know, scared to leave their home. They're going to get COVID and die. Mental health across the board has gone up and just skyrocketed. Suicide itself, and they don't know exactly why, as a whole, it went down. The teenagers and girls and some minorities um, population. It went up, so um, it's got it. Thanks you know, for that statistics, clarification. Yeah, this, <laughs> the, the statistics—it's it, complicated. Yeah, but nevertheless, one uh, every forty seconds, a person dies from suicide. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, still, still, problematic. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. still problematic. Yes, it's still problematic. Twenty-two veterans die of suicide every day. So this is still—you know—it's the second leading cause of death for um, the teenagers. It's the tenth leading cause of death overall. Um, so yeah, it's something we need to pay attention to.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's so amazing that you wrote that article during COVID and, um, we're such a shining light and beacon for, for others, you know, um, whatever they're going through. So what is Zen success for you? I love the word Zen. I love that you
2: do a Zen podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So Zen success for me is, I think sometimes people think peace, right? They think Mm -hmm. I have to have peace. Well, when they think of peace, they think the absence of stress, right? Where I think, you know, life, part of life is stress. So when I think of Zen, I think of something below peace, almost a contentment Mm -hmm. that you can have trials you can have stress in your life because those are always happening. That just means you're alive. There's joy, there's pain, there's stressful moments, there's peaceful moments. But Zen to me is not, oh, I have this peace. It's something underneath, it's deeper. I have a contentment in my life. I'm okay with those challenges, with those trials, with those blessings. I look at my life as a whole and there's a deeper com- contentment. That I'm content, but I still can reach for more. I'm content with what is today and in the now still growing. So when I think of it, I love it. That is what I think of Zen. I I think I want to be a Zen success life, not reaching for this peaceful thing that just forever stays, but some deeper contentment
1: beautifully said. It's been such a pleasure like connecting with you and hearing yes. about your book, your series of books Thank an you. impossible life an impossible Thank life. You.
2: Yes. Um, impossible, yes. impossible, but we end with a possible,
1: I'll put your website and how to buy your books in the Thank show you. notes and much Zen success on your journey and much Zen success for you and all your listeners. I love it.
0: That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.